Thanks, Rylan. Super job. Open your Bibles, church, please, to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. Last Lord's Day, when we were together, Jesus said, It is finished. And with those words, he was. Because he took his last breath and he died. And when he died, everyone believed he was finished. And when Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus came and they, they took that body, and they took it to a tomb and they covered it with 75 pounds of burial ointments and wrapped that body in strips of linen and they sealed that tomb with a rock, they believed it was finished. They believed that Jesus' body would do what all dead bodies do, stay dead. But they were wrong. Watch this with me. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been taken away from the entrance. She went running to Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved. They have taken the Lord from the tomb. We don't know where they have put him. Then Peter and the other disciple went to the tomb. The two of them were running, but the other disciple ran faster than Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and saw the linen cloths, but he did not go in. Behind him came Simon Peter, and he went straight into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the cloth which had been around Jesus' head. It was not lying with the linen cloths, but was rolled up by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in. He saw and believed. They still did not understand the scripture which said that he must rise from death. Then the disciples went back home. Mary stood crying outside the tomb. While she was still crying, she bent over and looked in the tomb. And saw two angels there, dressed in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had been. One at the head, the other at the feet. Woman, why are you crying? They asked her. They have taken my Lord away. And I do not know where they have put him. Then she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not know that it was Jesus. Woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? She thought he was the gardener, so she said to him, If you took him away, sir, tell me where you have put him, and I will go and get him. Mary. She turned toward him and said in Hebrew, 
Her body. This means, teacher, do not hold on to me. Because I have not yet gone back up to the Father. But go to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to him who is my father and their father. My God and their God. So Mary Magdalene went and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and related to them what he had told her. It was late that... Would you bow with me, church? Father, we realize we're not the only community of Jesus followers who are remembering, no celebrating, both the death of your son on the cross for sins that were rightfully ours, and also celebrating the life that you have given through the power of the resurrection. Thank you. What, what, what words could we say? Thank you, thank you, thank you for what you've done. Father, we join with John the ba with the First Baptist Church. We join with the Episcopalians. We join with the Catholics. We join with anyone who, who with all their hearts is pledging to trust in what you did there more than what we could ever do. We are so honored that you would love us the way that you have loved us. We are so honored that you would come to be in us and with us like you have through the power of your spirit. And we ask you to come this morning and move among this church, I know you've brought some people here who were walking in their own fog as Mary was. Not quite sure what to do with all of this. And I'm asking, will you help them see a little bit clearer about how you would like to live and be in their lives? In Jesus we ask and everyone said. I've never been much of a gardener. But ever since first grade, when we rolled up our pants legs and we waded into the sea of biology, I've had an attraction to things that grow. It started with what I'm sure all of us have done at least once in our life, and that is plant a simple seed. My folks were city people, and having six kids, my parents didn't have much time to keep anything alive but a family. Dad cut the little bit of green grass that we had in our front yard on Steve Street in San Antonio, Texas. But the grass existed only because we weren't allowed in the front yard. There was no fence there, and over 5,000 cars passed a day on that very busy street. So we were only allowed to play in the backyard. And with four boys, grass and any other plant life didn't stand a chance. So the sportsmen were not gardeners. And the only horticulture that I ever was introduced to was in my first grade class. Thank you, Mrs. Rampmeyer. She had us plant the tiniest of seeds that I had ever seen in this cool black dirt that filled our milk cartons, something like what you see on the screen. Little did I know that this small little exercise would be the beginning of a large affinity in my life to see lifeless things come to life. I'll never forget walking into class four or five days later after we did our planting to find not just black dirt, moist black dirt in our recycled milk carton, but the most amazing stalk of green I had ever seen in my life. The seed that resembled more of a lifeless pebble from our playground was now a living plant, and I couldn't believe it. It was miraculous to me 
But I soon learned it was not a miracle. See, a miracle by definition is this, a surprising, welcome event that is not explicable by natural or scientific laws and is therefore considered to be the work of a divine agency. I got that from Wikipedia. The plant that I saw in that little milk carton was not a miracle. Amazing, but it was a part of the natural processes of this world. Not a miracle, though. An egg being fertilized by sperm, given time and safety and sufficient nutrients in the womb of a woman, will transform into something much more stunning, much more amazing, a human life. A tiny, hard-to-imagine, I would call a miracle, but by definition it's not. It's something that's very, very natural, which is amazing to me. Because of the miracle that I saw twice take place or the, the amazing natural that I saw take place twice in the birth of my two girls. But by strictness of definition, it's not a miracle. An amazing natural. Resurrection, however, that's completely unnatural. When a human being goes in the ground, that's the end of the story. You don't wait around for the person to reappear so that you can pick up where you left off. Not in past ages, nor in the present age, regardless of our advances in technology. No, the laws of biology prove resurrection a very unnatural event. And yet that's what we've witnessed this morning. At the death of a human being, you say your goodbyes, you pay your respects, and you go on with your life the best that you can. Knowing that the only place springtime happens in a cemetery is on graves, not in them. All Mary was doing on the morning that we saw her make her infamous trek to Jesus' grave was to pay respects. Listen to me. In her mind, she was sure, absolutely sure, she would never serve Jesus a dinner again. She would never listen to him quote Torah again. She would never witness the joy of another restored invalid by his healing hands again. The 75 pounds of burial ointments that Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus had wrapped him with, had embalmed him with, would have to suffice for taking care of Jesus' deadness inside that tomb. Now the outside, however, she could bless with her presence, she could bless with her tears, she could bless with her remembering her memories and maybe some spices to make the area smell a little bit better. Because that smell was natural to something that had been dead three days. As much as anything I see Mary's trek in the damp morning air is one way to validate maybe the nightmare that she thought she had just dreamed. It was finished. To everyone on the face of the earth. But as she nears the tomb, little does she know her world that had been turned upside down is about to be turned right side up again and maybe even shaken more than she could have imagined. Even in the dim light, she could tell the stone in front of the grave had been moved. And when she stepped into the grave, which was cut out of the side of the hill, she could smell the damp earth, but what she expected to smell, what would have been natural to smell, was gone. Because the body was gone. 
And and we don't know what her first thoughts were, but based on the Jewish authorities' actions of the previous days and the leverage they obviously had with Roman authorities to get what they wanted, she figured they had taken him. Somebody had stolen the body. The last thing the Jewish leaders would have wanted was to have rumors of resurrection floating all over the city. Surely they had dumped him off a steep cliff or taken him to the town dump where the flames of Gehenna were taking care of all the discarded things in the city. But she had to find him. And she was going to need help. And so she runs back to where she knew her fellow Jesus followers were were waiting. Waiting for what? They weren't quite sure, but they were waiting. But I can assure you of this, they were not waiting for Mary to come back and to tell them that the Lord's body was gone, let alone resurrected. They weren't even waiting for that. And when she tells them, John writes that at least two of them are shot out of there like you would shoot a bullet out of a gun, and it was a race. Now, we only know that because of John writing his eyewitness account. And I just think it's, it's humorous that he wants to make sure that we all know for ages and ages he finished first. I love that. David, it's okay to be competitive and love Jesus. I love that. Peter may have been the boldest, but John was the fastest. And he gets there first, but he stomps at the opening of the tomb. We don't know why, because he was breathing hard, or maybe because he knew Peter would go in first. But Peter does. Peter waits for nothing. He is in there. And the text says he saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. What, was the, what were the cloths doing here and the body not? Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside, and he sees and he believes. Believed what? That Jesus had risen? Not yet. Not yet, because even John, who's writing this gospel, writes in, They still did not understand from the scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. They hadn't connected those two things. All John knew is, you're right, Mary, he's not here. He's not here. Now, a little aside here. If I'm making this up, if this is just a good story, if this is just a fairy tale story, at this point I interject, yeah, It came to us. We figured it out. He had prophesied long before he was ever turned over to the authorities, long before he was ever crucified, long before he was ever put in a tomb. He had told us. He had predicted all of that would happen. And now we got it. But even seeing the body gone there without a body but just linens, none of that connected yet. Which helps me believe that these words that we read as an eyewitness account are true because I sure would have... I would have um, raised the bar there and said something brilliant like, finally came to us, we got it. But they didn't because they didn't have a body. They didn't get it. It's because John isn't just telling any story. He's telling us the truth, I believe. When the boys were satisfied that what Mary had said was accurate, they were gone almost as fast as they arrived. Did you notice? And John doesn't say anything about encouraging Mary to go with her. But even if they tried to lead her away, I'm convinced she was having none of it. She was like an abandoned puppy who had lost her master. Staying rooted to the place she'd last seen the one her heart belonged to. Without the foggiest clue of what do you do next. And the depth of her despair becomes so apparent that when even the appearance of an angel comes... 
It doesn't clear the fog. An angel, two of them. She works up the nerve, however, to look into the tomb, the Bible says, and, and where there had been nothing but a slab and some used linens, there's now two men robed in white sitting where Jesus was laying. And I love this. It never occurs to her. They might have been the culprits who have taken the body. She's not exactly thinking clearly, and we understand why. Because maybe you walked into this room today, and you poke your head in here, and you do so in a fog fog of a broken relationship that you don't, you don't know where you go from, from here. The fog of being let go of, of a job and you, you don't know. At your age, where do you go from here? The fog of hearing, I lost a baby again. Where do I go? Where do we go from here? Maybe you've been there with your wife who's experienced a heart attack and for three nights you have been by her side sleeping on one of those hospitals version of a hide-a-bed. Maybe you've been there with your son for three days straight who had lost his son the day before you arrived to suicide. And neither one of you know, where do you go from here? Maybe you've been there after three weeks of a tanking stock market that's eliminated half your life savings. What took 30 years to build in in three weeks, cuts it in half. You're 70 years old, and you're looking at help-wanted ads again. Asking, God, where, where, do, where do I go from here? For any of you who have navigated the dense fog of an overwhelming loss, you know that autopilot is about as good as you can operate at best. That's why what Mary is navigating on <laughs> makes us smile when the two men ask, Why are you crying? And she says, they've taken my Lord away. And I don't know where they've put him. I don't know about the timeline of Scripture, but it seems like she doesn't even give them time to answer her response. She just has to go find him. And when she turns to leave, she either bumps into a familiar friend or maybe as this particular uh, drama shows us, sees him working over next to a, some plants or something, but she thinks he's the gardener. And his only value to her in the moment is maybe some information he might have to help her find her Lord. Sir, if you've carried him away, please tell me where you've laid him and I will take him off your hands. And that makes me smile. What's Mary going to do? Have the gardener lay his body over her shoulder? Is she going to pick him up all by herself and transport him somewhere? Really? Mary's not making a reasonable request and rarely do we when we're in the fog of disbelief. Her question doesn't seem to bother the gardener, though. He responds with just one word. Mary. He just calls her by name. And all of a sudden, the fog clears. She responds, Rabbi, is that you? And it is. It's not supposed to be, but it is. It can't be, but it be. There's no way, but way. That which was dead didn't stay dead. That's not natural. No, we believe it's supernatural. There was a divine agency outside raising that body and giving him life again. And I don't know whether she was about to reach out or maybe as in the film she does reach out and she touches him. But Jesus says something strange here to me. Don't hold on to me for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Now, Thomas is going to hold on to him a little bit later. What's he trying to say? Don't hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I'm ascending to the Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. 
Is he talking about the physical holding on? Or maybe, is he talking about more of a relational holding on? More of a don't hold on to me, Mary. Head on out with me, all right? I'm going to the Father. And soon you will be too. Come go with me. I don't know, but here's what we do know. Things would never, ever be the same again. Not just in Mary's life, but in this world's life. Never again. There was no going back to what she had known of him. There was no going back to any relationship she had ever had with him. This little garden party changed everything. Could he hear in her voice that she wanted him back the way he was? So that they could go back to the way they were? Back to the old life where everything was familiar, where everything was good, where everything was wonderful. Oh no, there's a better life ahead with this resurrected Christ. Jesus is not going back to anything. Don't hold on to me. Head out with me. Saddle up your horses. We got a trail to blaze. This garden party's changing everything, Mary. He's on his way forward to God and he's taking a whole world with him. And church, that was true the first day of the resurrection, and I'm here to remind you, it's true of every day since that resurrection. Jesus, the resurrected one, when you see him, when you welcome him, when you follow him, he's going to take you forward into God, not backward into anything you once had, and not necessarily forward into any dream you now have. And we don't like that. He is, however, taking you to the Father. And don't let that sound like second best. Sometimes I have. Remember his promise in John 14 and verse 3. Yes, he's trying to explain his leaving to the disciples. And if I go, and i got to go, I don't want to leave you as orphans, but I will go and prepare a place for you, and I will come back and take you to be with me that you may be also where I am. He's not promising to take us to some version of heaven on earth. He's leading us to the Father in his version of heaven on earth. Not to your perfect ideal of a family, not to your perfect retirement, not to your perfect idea of a husband, not to your career or your perfect idea of the perfect preacher or elders or church. Listen to me. He's leading us to the Father. That's what the Spirit has come to do. That's what the resurrection is all about. And if we make it anything else, it borders on blasphemy. Now, I know there's other churches out there who will try to tell you that when you get this spirit or you get this understanding of the resurrection in you, anything's possible. It is. But that's up to him, not to me. I just want to be wherever he's going. I want to be wherever he ends. I just want to be with him. That's what Jesus is inviting us to. And Mary doesn't care. She doesn't care. She just wants to be with him. She has no idea where this resurrection relationship is going to take her any more than maybe any of you do. <laughs> I love this morning that we're connecting this, and it's a, it's a God thing. It's not something we, we anticipated. This is connected to the Divinity Family Ministry. Again, I, I mentioned earlier that this was launched eight years ago, but nine years ago, rewind the tape, and neither of those two is thinking that they're going to launch a foster care program for our community. But I know both Anna and Rick and Randy, and you know Anna and Randy, and you know their families. They just want to be where Jesus is. And where Jesus is is to lead them into this ministry. I don't know where you're going to be in eight years from now. I don't know where I'm going to be next week or next month or next year. I just want to be with Jesus. 
And that can sound so cheesy, but I'm getting to the place where I really am letting go of that. Gail continually wants to ask me, let's talk about where we want to be in five years. I don't want to do that. I tried it before. This is not where I planned to be five years ago. It wasn't. But I love where God has me right now and what he's doing in us right now. And I don't know where he's taking us. We're making some plans, but we're holding them loose. I'm going to tell you a little bit more about those in about a month. But our main plan is this. It is our mission to lead ordinary people into an extraordinary relationship with Jesus. That's our mission. Wherever he wants to take us for that mission, we don't care. We just want to be along for the ride. Amen, church? That's what the resurrection is all about. And I think sometimes we've just... We've made promises about what this resurrection and what this spirit can mean. God never intended. I've, I've, I've come along too many people who've pulled over to the side of the road and said, God let me down because he didn't do this as if it was some kind of deal. If I gave enough money or if I attended enough and I prayed enough and I read enough, then he would give me my dream. He's the dream. He's the dream. And this journey that we're on is by faith. It's not by sight. It's to a person, not a place. And I'm getting more comfortable with not knowing where he's taking me. Mary had no idea. <laughs> she had no idea that there would be something to celebrate in the garden that morning. She expected to see a sealed tomb. She expects to weep. She expects to never touch him again. That was natural. That was normal. That was life. But what she finds instead is an empty tomb. And a morning filled with angels. And a gardener she meets that's the gardener of all time. And all of that was unnatural. It was supernatural. And I want in on that. It's not the norm. It's not the natural. It's to be expected or anticipated. But the creator of life somehow pulls it off when he gets involved with it. Death is natural. Loss is natural. Grief is natural. But if you want to experience a supernatural, here's, my, here's what you do. Because we always want to take something. What do we do? James says very simply, his brother, Jesus' brother, draw near to him and he'll draw near to you. <laughs> as far as I can tell, that's the only thing Mary got right today. She, she just tried to stay as close to Jesus as she possibly could. And look what happened. That's all I want to encourage you to do. Stay as close to Jesus as you possibly can. And buckle your seatbelt for what's going to happen. Are you going to experience grief? Are you going to experience death and loss? Absolutely. We would have never expected for Coach to have to be dealing with a shoulder that's been blown out because some numbskull decides to pop him on a golf course. They were planning on going to the Holy Lands this week with Don and, and, and the riches and, and all that got, got blown out of the water because he stepped up to help a young man not get a chewing out by some drunk person on a golf course. Lynn and Coach are just trying to stay close to Jesus, and sometimes it takes you into a surgery you never counted on, and to staying home when you'd rather be in Jerusalem. I just know Jesus is doing something in you guys, and I can't wait to see it. But I hate that you're missing Jerusalem. But they're not going to miss what Jesus is doing in them. We're just going to have to wait. Draw near to him and he will draw near to you. Now the one thing he won't do for you is this. It's the same thing he refused to do for Mary. That's to let you all hold on to him. He will lead you. He will guide you. He will empower you. He will comfort you. He will even indwell you. But you can't hold him down and you can't hold him back. 
He knows our tendency is that we would rather keep him where we are and where we want to stay than let him lead us where he wants us to go with him. The better decision is to let him hold on to us than to try and us hold on to him. Maybe you walked in today and you're in a fog. And I hate that for you, but then not really. It may not be connected to a tomb. It may be connected to cancer. It may be connected to Bell's palsy. It may be connected to lupus or being unemployed or being over-retired or being a widow or being bankrupt or being divorced or single. You can put out whatever word you want to, but you're in a fog because you did not see your life being here and that word being attached to it. And there's a part of me that's sorry, but only sorry like Mary, not knowing what the next thing's going to be. But you won't be sorry if you make sure that it's close to Jesus with it, whatever it is. You just take whatever that it is and you put it close to Jesus and you see what he does with it. Maybe not what you dreamed of, but you would rather have what he's dreaming of for you than what you're dreaming. Because it's more than what you could ask or think. I've got his word on that. Over and over in God's book, when common people stay as close as they can to an uncommon God, amazing things happen. So here's the question of the morning. Will you serve Jesus when you don't understand him? Mary did. And if your answer is yes, you will see Jesus do things you could never imagine. And it all started for me with a simple milk carton and some black dirt in Mrs. Rantmeyer's class and this little bitty seed that looked as dead as any rock on the playground. But when that seed was planted, something amazing took place. And where there was no life, new life came. That's natural. What could be the supernatural in your seed. Father, we come to you this morning humbled and a little fearful. The fog is always a little fearful. We go a little slower in the fog. We pay a little bit more attention in the fog because we can't see very far ahead. And I know sometimes you use the fog to help us to, to maybe, just maybe, fix our eyes on you. Fix our eyes on the next couple of steps and that's all. We're as a church right now trying to see where you want us to go next with missions, trying to see where you want us to go next with programs here for, for serving this community, for how we serve one another. And we need your help. We're bringing our hopes and our dreams and we're laying them at the foot of the cross saying, we don't care what you want to do. We just want you. We want you. And whatever is in our lives crowding you out, we're asking you, as we sing this last song about how great you are, would you help us remember how ungreat all the other stuff is and to let go of it and cling with all of our hearts to the hope that if we let you hold us, you will take us places we never dreamed. Please, Jesus, hold on to us. We welcome you to do that. And we pray this in Jesus' name and everyone said. If we can bless you by praying over you this morning through the fog, please let us. And if we could help you this morning put on the powerful name of Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, please come find me and let us assist you in doing that. Let's stand, church. Let's praise him.